All right, hello and welcome to RealCom's first installment in the Powering the Enterprise series for 2022. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, sitting in for RealCom's Sarah Bemperid as host of today's webinar, Developing a Data Strategy. And we've got a fantastic lineup for you today. The webinar will really help you understand the challenges as your company takes on this really important issue. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you to all of our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions, but if we don't answer them during the webinar, we'll follow up with you once the event is concluded. And feel free to connect with any of our speakers on social media to start your own dialogue. You'll find today's presentation in the handout section of the GoToWebinar control section. And for the best webinar experience, we do recommend you close out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos that could enhance or interrupt with your bandwidth. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and then click on the webinar link again. You can also email Ian Thompson at ithompson at realcom.com for more help, but don't worry, it's all being recorded, so you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to the webinar recording in the next few days. This educational webinar is supported by our gold sponsors. CoStar empowers industry professionals with the most comprehensive data combined with reliable tools, resources, and a deep understanding on nearly 6 million CRE properties across every market. MRI software offers a comprehensive, open, and connected technology platform with a suite of applications to help you transform the way communities live, work, and play. Navigator CRE enables you to visualize information from multiple data sources to get total oversight of your global portfolio, property specs, market intelligence, asset analytics, and just a whole lot more. And Turntide leverages breakthrough technologies to accelerate sustainable operations for energy intensive industries, to optimize energy use, and to fast track your organization towards net zero. We thank all these sponsors for helping us out at Realcom. And when you're thinking about data consolidation, data analytics, visualization, and energy optimization, you have to include these companies in your vendor evaluation process. Let me bring on our moderator for today. That's Andrew Weekland. He's the Senior Vice President and Director of Systems Development at WP Carey. Andrew, you've got a lot of experience in emerging technologies and a great panel of guests, so let's get started. Thank you, Chuck. I really appreciate the introduction, and thank you as well to our sponsors for making this event happen. Um, so, great. Uh, yeah, so for today, uh, we've prepared for you as an excellent and very diverse panel with lots of different perspectives. Uh, this is the first part of our series on, on, on data strategy. And I think hopefully we can get it off with a bang and really get things moving. Um, my goal today is simply to represent you as the audience. As Chuck alluded to, um, I was in WP Carry for many years. We've gone through this numerous times, reinventing our data strategy, expanding our data strategy. Um, for those of you who don't know, WP Carry is a diversified global net lease real estate investor. So we have a plethora of data challenges as we invest in global markets in myriad asset classes. So in some ways we've seen it all, but in other ways, obviously we've only scratched the surface. So my goal today is simply to represent you, the audience, uh, to get as much information out of our panel as possible so that you can jumpstart your own data strategy. Um, and just a little bit about that, as Chuck mentioned, the Q&A box is open the entire time. 
Um, this is not a webinar where you're going to sit idly and check your email. It's you listen to people talk. We're going to be engaged. We're going to be dynamic. So ask your questions as soon as you have them. Ideally, I'll ask that question on the slide it pertains to and not wait till the very end and have to come back. Um, and also, we can have a dynamic discussion that way, right? I, I, my goal, again, is to represent you guys. Um, we do have a great panel set today. We're going to go over some fundamentals to data strategy so you really understand how to lay the groundwork if you're just getting started. We're also going to touch on some more advanced concepts. You can be prepared for them when they come up. Or if you already have a data strategy organization, perhaps you can get a bit of advice as to more advanced concepts. We also have people bringing in their unique perspectives. We have a focus on sustainability. We have uh, data strategy from an occupier's perspective, a real estate occupier. We have focused content for uh, people that are doing leasing, people that are doing acquisitions. So hopefully there's a little bit for everyone here. But again, to make the content as specific to you and your goals as possible, I need you to ask those questions. So don't be shy, jump into that chat box, and let's make this an engaged and dynamic discussion. And so with that all out of the way, I'm gonna introduce our first panelist, Galtham Vilpala. Come on video, Galtham. Hello. Yeah. So Galtham is at Philips Edison Company. Most of us uh, know more, more colloquially as Pico. He's the manager of enterprise applications. He's responsible for enterprise application development and data analytics. Now his team is, is undergoing a journey that many of you are about to start. They're currently working on implementing a modern cloud hosted data warehouse solution. He's gonna walk us through some of the challenges there. And also note that Galtham has a poll for you to self-assess your own data maturity. So please do keep an eye out for that and take that part of that poll when it's ready. So with that said, Galtham, why don't you dive into the presentation? Thanks, Andrew. Um, so again, I work at Philips Edison. Um, Pico owns and operates about 300 grocery anchored shopping centers. Um, and we have recently embarked on a journey to devise our data strategy and are in the process of operationalizing and implementing our data plan. I'm going to share some aspects of what we are doing and how we are going about it. Um, to start off uh, initially, uh, we evaluated our data assets and tried to, try to benchmark ourselves on uh, um, where we are in terms of data maturity model and uh, to figure out where we are, what we were missing out on. So if you look at this visual here, it depicts uh, various levels organizations are at in terms of their maturity models. Level one is what you see here at the bottom on the X, on the, so just to, on the X axis, what you see here is your analytics maturity model and, and, and the Y axis is your data-driven decision-making in the company. So at level one, this is the basic level where uh, this is the phase where a lot of work happens in Excel and your standard out-of-the-box reports that come out of your ERP systems, your uh, uh, forecasting systems. Uh, in this phase, in, at, at level one, there is really no data management processes that exist. There is real, uh, there is no traditional data warehouse that exists, and there is no real uh, formal team managing the analytics in the organization. Moving up a little further, we have uh, at level two descriptive analytics, where the organization has some historical data. There is some use of business intelligence tools, data visualizations to provide better insights, but in this phase, there is uh, business is asking you for more and more data and more and more data use cases, but the tools and processes when you are at this phase are not really very flexible enough to, to, to deliver it fast and uh, as quickly as business requires you to do. Uh, moving on to phase three here, that's where we have our, uh, diagnostic analytics. In this phase, an organization is not just looking at dashboards, but kind of more drilling down into the drilling down into the data and mining the data to understand the causation and correlation between different business activities. Moving up a little furthermore in the maturity model, we have predictive analytics. 
it is really the phase where the organization starts using AI models, machine learning techniques, and all, all their data is not usually hosted in cloud, uh, and cloud has the necessary compute to be able to execute all these. And this is a phase where business model really starts to change and your data can become a core part of your business. At the top of the maturity model is prescriptive analytics. The goal here is no longer to predict with a certain level of confidence, but to find out the most optimal outcome um, given the constraints. So this is the highest level of maturity and, and, and we can talk about scenario modeling, but that's that's really at the top of your game. I do like the the chasm call out there after the kind of traditional data warehouse. It does feel like you're staring off into a cliff sometimes before you cross that gap. Yes, Andrew, and coming to the chasm here, we, uh, and coming specifically to Pico, when we analyzed ourselves, we found that we were somewhere between phase two and phase three here, between your descriptive analytics and diagnostic analytics. We use self-service tools like Power BI that can provide a lot of value. We have a traditional data warehouse, but we quickly, quickly came to realize that we did not have the right plumbing, especially the ETL and the infrastructure to support these tools and provide faster implementation of data use cases. So this is what I call the chasm or an inflection point where our investments that we have put in our traditional tools are not, not really returning the value that we expect out of them. And some of the challenges that when you're stuck in a chasm is basically that you realize that you put in a lot of CapEx investments in your existing BI tools and your, uh, your traditional data warehouse. But, and it's, it's, it's difficult to justify to business to invest in new technology again. There yeah, is I'm guessing a lot of our attendees are staring into that chasm uh, right now, so. Yes, and there is a lot of cost to re-architecting uh, re this whole solution and redesigning the solution to get rid of all the technical debt that you have accumulated uh, previously while trying to build your traditional data warehouse. And there is a little bit of fear of missing out when you're in this phase. You keep hearing about this AI and ML, and, and then you're talking about how do I implement this for my organization and how do I move away from this chasm to higher levels of maturity? So I will go over our data strategy to move to higher levels, but before um, I just want to pause here for a second and put a poll out here to see what you think and where your organization falls in this maturity ladder. So please take this poll that appears. Yeah, Ian, go ahead and put the poll up and everyone, please be honest here. We're, there's no secrets here. We're supposed to be open and uh, <laughs> if everyone selects prescriptive, I'll, I'll be I'll be suspicious. <laughs> All right. Uh, Let's give them a few more seconds. Get everyone get their clicks in. Make sure they have their mice handy. Sure. Um, so just one more, few more minutes here. It might take a few, a few seconds for people to vote. And just so you know, the the organizers and panelists are not allowed to vote, so we're not going to be <laughs> putting our fingers on the scales here. There we go. All right. Thank you all. Ian, do uh, we have our results? Excellent. Look at that. So a nice mix. We do have a few folks that are higher up that maturity curve, uh, but it looks like, as expected, most people are either just getting started or staring at that chasm, wondering how to, to build the technology foundation to move higher up the ladder. So but it does seem like we have a very diverse group here, so that's good to see. All right, that's, that's kind of what I expected. Um, um, so moving on, um, I'll just put our uh, data strategy of how to move away from the chasm. 
Um, so we broke our implementation of our data strategy into four different phases. Phase one started with uh, creating a scalable cloud platform, um, established data dictionaries, KPIs, and sound governance practices. Uh, in our organization, this phase is going to be majorly IT-driven. It's intended to modernize the architecture, cloud-enable the platform, get rid of the performance bottlenecks that you might have in your current data warehouse, streamline our data loads and ETL processes, establish the CI CD processes to get over the chasm that we talked about earlier. And um, just more, uh, just showing you the slide of our current architecture, sorry, of our current architecture here. Uh, we're hoping that uh, um, we're moving uh, entirely to cloud hosted on Azure. Um, we'll be moving uh, data from our existing ARB systems with a read-only copy of our database, so we don't have an impact on performance on our ERPs. We are also going to be getting some data from our budgeting and forecasting system and some external data sources like demographics and location and foot traffic information. We're going to build a traditional cloud data warehouse and then a semantic layer on top of it uh, and build data dictionaries for the business to be able to tap into this data warehouse and the semantic model. So this is kind of the architecture that, that we are hoping to establish here, and we have embarked on this journey here. Um, once we have this architecture here, uh, we want to move over to our phase two. Um, and in phase two, this is where we want to increase our data collection and um, increase our data collection the right way by implementing the right use cases that are necessary for, uh, for business. Um, in this phase, we are intending to establish a data analytics governance board. And the primary purpose of this governance board would be to uh, basically prioritize for us what are the, the next big data use cases that we are going to handle. Um, so touching upon some of these questions that need to be asked before you move on to phase two, uh, you need to uh, have answers from for some questions. And uh, you see some of the questions on the slide here. And this is these are key questions to determine the prioritization of use cases. And, and if you can as assign some qualitative metrics to each one of these here, they'll help you build a prioritization model within your business where all the stakeholders agree upon uh, a scoring model. Uh, the first primary question that you need to ask is how is this use case linked to my strategic goal for the company? Uh, what are the key business questions that this data use case is gonna answer? What are the KPIs or measures of success? How will I measure these? And, 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 the, and, the, and the department that's asking for this use case need to be ready with all these answers so that they can be scored and prioritized. Other considerations, who are the users of this data? What kind of data governance uh, is required for this use case? What is the data required? Do we have to tap into some external data sources? The technology and skills and capacity are, are real considerations and that go about prioritizing the use case. So going back to our phases here, uh, the, the goals, once, once we are past phase two, where we plan on implementing some use cases, we, are, we, you know, we have some use cases that's already on our drawing board and uh, that need to be prioritized, but we are looking at use cases like assessing the credit default risk of our tenants. And for, especially for a leasing team, we are looking at a use case where 
we need to find a right tenant mix for each one of our shopping centers with data coming from both internal and external stores sources for these use cases. Uh, once we have established uh, a lot of data into the data warehouse and uh, our semantic models, our next phase to move on, the maturity model is to move on to phase three. In phase three, our intention is to democratize data. We want to train a lot of users in our company, um, ensure that we have data literacy among all across all departments, and uh, we're going to convince our company to invest in invest in training uh, because it's not just IT using these tools. And if you want to move towards um, business making data driven decisions, it's very essential that uh, that that all departments are trained to use this data and the, and the tools that you're uh, throwing at them. Uh, the success metrics in phase two and phase three, uh, you can look at how far uh, your organizations come along in terms of increasing data awareness and using these data tools and how many business-led data and analytics initiatives have been successful and how many pilots went in that actually converted to deployable production use cases. So these would be the kind of success metrics that I'd be looking at in phase two and phase three. And uh, phase four is you know, where we ideally want to be. Uh, once we have the organization making decisions based on the data that's accessible to them, uh, the next phase is to move and start using AI and start going towards prescriptive analytics here with the AI coming up with solutions with for some of the some of the use cases and looking at historical data and coming up with predictions um, and it's essential that you have the platform laid out before you start leveraging these cloud and data innovation opportunities in phase yeah, four. I think, it's, I think it's very important for people to see that that order is kind of a natural order you have to accomplish one before the other you have to have the business engaged and doing the driven decisions before it even makes sense to think about AI so Definitely that kind of walk, crawl, or crawl, walk, run model, which I love to see. So, Gal, you have a moment or two left of your presentation. Any other key concepts you wanted to show us before we go to Q&A? Um, no, uh, really, the next slide is essentially something that I just talked about. This is basically what are your strategic imperatives and, uh, for each phase and what are your success metrics. This, kind, this slide kind of lists out that, but I, I kind of just talked through those. But this slide would be useful for you to measure, you know, what to, to kind of devise your success metrics for each of each one of these phases that we're talking about here. Well, so that, that ties into a question. Was there a specific kind of KPI or metric you guys as a as a grocer focused uh, real estate investor were, were, were keen on or discovered during this process? Yes. So uh, and we, we we are in the process of implementing phase one and in, in, yeah. in phase one, we are essentially trying to replicate what we had in our traditional data warehouse. But we are looking at some use cases uh, for our phase two, um, which we haven't officially kicked off yet. We are looking at assessing our credit default risk for our tenants. Uh, we are trying to bring in some Equifax data from external data sources. We want to depend on some of our lease abstraction, abstracted data, couple these two to find out uh, get some guarantor information from our uh, lease abstractions and try and figure out what the credit default risk is. We're uh, coming up with the KPIs for that. And then we are also looking at our tenant mix for our shopping centers. Uh, okay. The data coming in for both internal and external sources here for as, yeah, no, as uh, assessing credit on, on small tenants or, or private uh, tenants can be very tricky. So that, that sounds like it could be very helpful to help you flag uh, any instance there. So 
Um, with that, I think we, that's the only other question I see here. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Uh, and we can move on. So thank you. Thank you very much. I, I believe, Ian, before our next presenter, um, who is also maybe Ian, we have a video, a short video from our sponsor, MRI. I'm going to go ahead and kick that off. The role of the workplace is to drive collaboration, engagement, and business results. But with hybrid work schedules, shifting needs, and various health requirements, bringing employees together as a team is harder than it used to be. With MRI, you can bring people back to the office in a way that suits their needs and the needs of the business. Create a safe, flexible, and productive work environment with space planning and reservation tools that empower employees to make optimal use of your workplace. Control the flow of employees and visitors in and out of the office with solutions that give you a full view of who's on site and who's working remotely. Leverage technology to evaluate usage and business demand, optimizing your space and plan for the office of the future. Reinvent your workspace into a thriving workplace. Niblock, the Director of Development for MRI Software. Uh, Ian has over 25 years of experience in the software development industry, 15 years of those being specializing in, in real estate. Um, he covers data analytics and integration. He currently heads up the global data services team at MRI and is the chair of the data governance committee. So welcome, Ian. Um, let's do a quick sound check on Ian. Now that should be all right. There we are. Okay, great. So before we get started, uh, it's a very interesting perspective I'm very eager to hear more about because obviously you work for MRI, which is a large ERP vendor many of us are familiar with, but you actually are on the inside developing a data strategy that's going to you know, affect you guys as an enterprise more so than say specifically to one or two clients. So I'm really curious to hear this, like, the perspective with all the various data sources you might see. And also I think a data governance committee, not every company has one yet, but obviously many are moving as fast as they can to get that. Very curious to see what it's like uh, uh, sitting in those meetings and, and how that affects your, your overall strategy as a company. So with all that intro out of the way, please take it away and, and show us what you got. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And good morning and good afternoon, everybody. Um, so what I, what I want to talk to you today about really is the, the journey that MRI has been on over the last year as we've designed and implemented our own data strategy. And obviously, as Andrew mentioned, as a software provider, we have to consider both our own internal use of data and the needs of our clients and partners uh, and try to combine that into a single strategy. So, I'll just wait for a second. So the reason the reason we did this, uh, and just jumping back to something that Galton presented, um, we we performed the same analysis um, towards the start of last year, and we were very much stood at the bottom of the same chasm, staring up, trying to figure out how we twined our way out. So uh, we have the same challenges. Um, obviously, due to the acquisitive nature of MRI, we we typically acquire at, at least one new business every month. Um, we have over 100 different software solutions, more than 20 different data processing systems, uh, and dozens of internal systems thrown into the mix. So we process through those systems hundreds of gigabytes, if not terabytes, of data every day. Now that gave us a wealth of data to take advantage of, but also led to quite a significant overload of both unused and duplicated data. We had a lot of related data in disparate systems. There were no common data standards in use across the business. Um, if you look at the UK market specifically, um, 
the use of things like tenants, residents, customers, occupants. They're, they're all the same thing, but referred to differently in each different data set. So, and every region has a slightly different nuance to the way it uses and looks at data. <clears throat> so effectively, we had a lot of data, but not enough information. So in 2021, we started a journey of transformation, and that was really towards a common data strategy. And the first stage of this was establishing a data committee. Uh, we'll come on to that in a little bit more detail on one of the uh, slides shortly. But in essence, this did involve every area of the business, and that was key. Secondly, we defined our goals, uh, and that includes the benefits and priorities of each one and the steps we would need to complete to reach those goals. Uh, following on from that, we started to plan, uh, and obviously not planning everything up front. Um, you focus on a, a combination of the highest priorities and the biggest benefits. Um, if we look at an example that we picked as one of the highest on the list, combining client account information as an internal data source from our CRM Salesforce solution, from our support systems and our development systems, so our account executives can actually get a full picture of a client without having to work through multiple um, solutions. And then finally, we began, we began to implement that strategy. Uh, and we use an agile approach, um, so constantly measuring success against our goals uh, and never afraid to, to go back and refine the processes, refine the strategy. We're always reviewing the, uh, the success of everything that we do. So as we moved along this journey, uh, there, are, there are some quite important factors that we identified that will assess, uh, affect the success of this program. So, so talking through each point of these, they're always asking why. That, that, that's probably key. Ne never assume that you define a goal without knowing why you want to uh, achieve that goal uh, and the business benefits. The strategy is always about the, what you need to do and why do you need to do it. It's never about how are you actually going to go and achieve that. As a, secondly, there is no one-size-fits-all solution for a data strategy. Uh, there are uh, an endless number of white papers and publications you can go and find with a very quick Google search, uh, and you'll be able to learn a lot from all of those, but, but there's never one that will exactly fit your business, your culture, uh, and the way your clients work or, or your customers work. Um, don't let technology influence any strategic objectives. So we, we've seen mistakes in the past where you try to fit a strategy to a specific technological solution. Uh, and that's really the wrong way around. You should define your strategy, define your goals, and then find the right technology fit to, uh, to meet those goals. Uh, and defining the strategy is only the first step. Uh, obviously, you've got a lot to do to actually go and implement that strategy to engage the business to get buy-in from the senior executives. Um, so there's, there's a lot of work once you've actually defined what you want to do. Uh, and a good strategy doesn't just focus on, on the end result. It, it focuses equally on how you get to that result. Uh, and I'd say one of the uh, more important points is communicate extensively. You, you, to implement a good data strategy, you need buy-in from the entire business. And the business needs to feel involved in that process rather than being dictated to at the end of it. <clears throat> so, so Andrew, you mentioned the, the data governance structure. This is the structure we put in place for the, uh, for the data governance committee. And we have executive sponsors at the very top of that structure, uh, and they are very much informed on what we're doing. They, they give us complete autonomy over, over what we do and how we do it. So, so we keep them involved. Um, we, we do get their approval. But, uh, but it's very much oversight, just so they're, they're familiar with everything that's going on. Uh, and then the committee itself, um, obviously you've got me sat as the chair at the top of that triangle, uh, and then a group of people, and this is 
participants from every region around the globe, every department in every region, um, as they're all key, everybody touches data at some point during the process. So everybody needs to be involved in what you're doing. So there's an audience question here I think is relevant to this slide. Um, how do you involve the compliance and risk team in your strategy overall? Are they sitting on this committee? Are they advising on how to manage things like change management and risk? Absolutely, very much so. So, so every team is involved in this committee, uh, and the, the compliance and risk team they, they sit mainly as part of our legal team. Um, so, so yeah, they, they are very, very heavily involved. Um, I, I say probably more so than most. Um, and when you look at the regional nature of our business uh, and the global nature of the business, you you have some different rules, different regulations, different legislation around the world. Um, so, so you have to take all that into account when you're looking at your data strategy and data retention, data processing rules are different everywhere you go. So you really do need that regional input as well. Excellent. So I thought this was worth showing quickly. Um, as part of our definitions uh, and our designs, we, we came up with a model for interaction with and analysis of data. Uh, we named it Tetra, uh, which we thought we designed the model and, uh, and put the description together first and then realized it did come into quite a nice acronym. Uh, and that really, it expands on the, the sort of traditional ETL or ELT uh, as we're using process. And it gives every department around the business an indication of what effects their work will have on other areas uh, and what impact anything that they change may have. So you go through all the way from the, the, the initial user interaction with a piece of software to, to potential automated processes at the very end, predictive analytics, machine learning, uh, and the whole AI suite of options. So I don't know, these, these slides are shared, so I won't, uh, I won't talk through every point on this. Now you'll be able to read the, uh, the text after the session. So a so quick update on where we are now, and this, this process is about nine months um, down the line. So, so we have obviously we've established our committee and we do have a clear definition of all of our goals. We've created a set of data standards for our solutions and we've been using the OSCAR data models. And there's a, there's a key message there about not reinventing the wheel if you don't need to. Um, a lot of, I've seen a lot of uh, organizations, I've worked with a lot of organizations where you define your own data standards um, and there are some very well established options out there. So it, it's quite key to use what's available. Um, we've defined standard regional processes for data security and privacy. Uh, so make sure we keep on track with all the legislation. Uh, and we've really had a change of mindset within the organization. So, so every department, every planning session, every uh, development activity that we complete, it really does take into account data now, and not just how they use data, how data is shared between solutions, but how it's managed and, and the governance behind that data. Uh, and we have very good active engagement from every department. So senior members of, of every department across MRI, very, very much engaged with this process. Excellent. Ian, actually, I fortunately to cut you off because we are running a bit behind our schedule, but I think it's very important to establish that committee. It really is kind of the most basic and fundamental thing to pursuing a data strategy. So thanks for laying that out for, for everybody, exactly how you went about that. And that structure, I think, should be very helpful. And as we mentioned, these slides will obviously be available for everyone to go through um, after the presentation. And we'll, we'll bring you back in for Q&A at the end. Um, so moving on, uh, we have a video from Turntide Technologies, our next sponsor. Half of the energy in the world goes into electric motors. How do we make every watt of energy and electricity worthwhile? 
climate change is the biggest challenge of our time, and we need to do everything in our power to reverse it. If we could replace every motor in the world with our technology, we could cut 25% of carbon emissions. We have done something incredible that many considered impossible until now. You start to look at this as a product that can save hundreds of thousands of lives and hundreds of millions of tons of CO2 going into the atmosphere. It would be the carbon equivalent of giving the world seven new Amazon rainforests. Okay, and with that, I'd like to welcome Jessica Morris, who's the Director of Product Marketing of Built Environments at Turntide Technologies. Jessica has over 15 years of experience creating greener, smarter, more sustainable buildings. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having and we'll, me today. And I'm really looking forward to what you have to say, because I know sustainability is on everyone's mind. It's a very hot topic, but sometimes it's not always clear how sustainability needs to play into your data strategy. And I'm sure you're going to tell us more, but it sounds like it presents a very ripe opportunity for a lot of owner-operators of real estate to have significant impact, not only uh, from a societal standpoint, but also on the bottom line. Absolutely. So what I'll talk about today is some of the, the drivers that um, impact creating a data strategy and some of the benefits of having a data strategy and how it helps you better manage and maintain your portfolios. So what we do at Turntide is we use our high efficiency smart motors, as you just saw in the video, and combine that with building automation capabilities to drive efficiency at every level within a building to help our customers maximize energy efficiency, optimize how they manage and maintain their buildings, and become a differentiated uh, brand leader in their space with their commitment to sustainability. And one of the main drivers for a data strategy that people often don't think about is sustainability. And in order to really have a commitment to sustainability, you have to have a data strategy in place. And like anything else, like the um, transitions that we've seen so far in the phases, this usually starts with compliance at its simplest form. And this could be just internal needs to reduce operating costs and looking for ways to manage energy and find ways to reduce that. It could be external influences, like what we're seeing right now in the EU with carbon reduction targets. And, or it could be other ambitious goals like putting ESG reporting in place or pursuing LEED certification. But all of those come back down to starting with a need for a data strategy. You can't manage what you can't measure in the words of Peter Drucker. Um, and so you need to be able to understand, you know, just in terms of energy, where that's being used and how that's being used within your buildings. You need to be able to benchmark that and you need to be able to manage your progress as you improve upon it. And so usually, that starts just with compliance. And then what we often find is, is once we start with these compliance measures, we realize that sustainability is also a competitive differentiator for our businesses. It allows us to uh, attract more tenants who are looking for green and sustainable buildings. It helps us attract customers who are looking to engage with brands who have a commitment to the environment. And it eventually becomes part of our overall business strategy. And this idea of, of digitization and sustainability really go hand in hand in order to help us achieve our goals. And when we think about the fact that over 30% of the energy used in a building is wasted, either due to inefficient equipment or inefficient operations, there's tons of low-hanging fruit just by better understanding the operations of our building to improve upon that and maximize on our operational efficiencies. And so sustainability in our mind is not just about um, 
carbon reduction or being green, but it's really about building a business that's resilient and agile in the face of market forces. Things like energy codes and uh, carbon reduction requirements, um, what we're seeing in terms of fluctuating utility costs. And the better we understand what's going on in our portfolios and the better that we have the ability to make data-driven decisions, the better we can weather those external impacts when they impede upon our business so that we can be as efficient in our operations as possible. And there's a path to get to, um, to really maximizing on the efficiency of our portfolios. And this is something that we try to help our customers achieve. And I think there's a misconception that um, there is a sustainability strategy and business impact are at odds with each other, that you, that you have to sacrifice profitability to commit to sustainability. And the reality is they really go hand in hand and they become drivers for each other because building a more sustainable operation drives business impact. And so what we try to help our customers achieve is moving from these early low-hanging fruit conservation measures that they've most likely done, things like LED retrofits or VFDs or occupancy sensors, and move to a more data-driven strategy where not only are we putting these, um, these types of initiatives in place, but we're able to measure their impact and we're able to monitor how they're performing and the ability to control so we maximize the impact of those energy efficiency measures that we've put in place. And once we understand how we're operating, we can, we can optimize. We can find those ideal set points between energy efficiency and occupant comfort and things like our HVAC systems to develop set points and scheduling to really be able to put our buildings on autopilot and let data work for us and use rules and set points to allow us to focus on other things and know that we are addressing energy efficiency within our buildings. And I think an important thing to think about when you're thinking about a digital strategy for your portfolio is how you're going to jump that chasm that Gotham was talking about and how you're going to pull your um, all of your data into one centralized place so you have the ability to benchmark, to establish best practices across your portfolio. As I'm sure many of you are aware, kind of the traditional ways when we think about particularly building management systems is they tend to be standalone systems within a building that the controller is sitting in an engineer's office or in the basement somewhere. And if you want to make a change or if you want to pull data out of that system, you have to actually go to the building and pull that out and you're working in spreadsheets. Or if you're trying to track your utility bills, you're probably doing that in Excel spreadsheets as well. So thinking about how you can leverage the cloud and how you can use a vendor um, choose a vendor that's going to help you aggregate your data and give you the ability to benchmark your portfolio and your buildings within it against one another to identify those best practices is really important. And so not only when you're thinking about choosing a vendor, selecting one that's going to help you pull everything into the cloud, it's important to think about who's actually going to be doing the data analysis. Do you have a team on staff that's going to really be able to dump all that data into Tableau or Power BI and, and run the analytics themselves? Or are you a smaller operation where you really need a vendor to be a partner to help you with either um, analytics within their tools themselves or other kinds of templates that make it easy for you to analyze that data so that you can really operationalize on it quickly? It's a really great point, Sarah, or Jessica, <laughs> excuse me. Um, I do want to move forward, though, we are coming a little tight on time. I want to see that example you had about the workload. I think it's really important for people to see kind of a dramatic outcome that can come from having a sound data strategy. 
Absolutely, yeah. So not only is it about sustainability, I think data really drives how we operate and maintain our buildings as well. As many of you are aware, I'm sure that the traditional way of maintaining our buildings and responding to a service call is, you know, a, a tenant calls and complains, we send out a vendor to go and evaluate, we determine there's a part that needs to be replaced, we have to wait for that to come in, and then we have to send someone out again to actually implement that um, repair in order to get our building up and running, which could result in unhappy tenants, uncomfortable working environments, disruption of business operations. And what we really want to do is leverage data and understand our equipment to be more proactive in how we maintain and manage our buildings. When we can monitor the environments within our buildings and how our equipment is operating, we can use that to do remote triage. We can get early notifications of out-of-specification conditions. We can look at trending history. So we can get ahead of issues before they provide um, business continuity issues and really make sure that we send the right person with the right part on the first trip. So we're saving operational spend in terms of our technician's time and we're being more efficient with our maintenance and we can modify our, our maintenance schedules in order to be more um, tailored to our actual building's operations as well as making sure that we're addressing issues before they impact our business. And so lastly, I'll just leave this with, um, you know, when you're thinking about your strategy, um, as Gotham mentioned as well, like think about what the impact you're trying to achieve is and use that to inform where you start with your data strategy. And just as a quick example of what this could look like, Fifth Third is a, bank, a customer of Turntide. They've implemented our automation solution in over 300 uh, sites within their portfolio so far. And by gaining visibility into their equipment and being able to manage schedules and set points, they've been able to reduce work orders within their portfolio by about 15%, which has a huge operational impact. And they've also reduced their energy consumption within their properties by about 20%, which equates to about half a million dollars per year. Thank you so much. That's excellent results. And I think it's important for everyone to think about um, where they might be able to find their own low-hanging fruit that a data strategy could help pay for itself and, and then some. Absolutely. Thank you, Jessica. All right, up next, we have Pete Chow, the global data strategist of Invesco. Hi, Pete. Hey, Andrew, how's everybody? Doing well. Pete has over 15 years of experience in real estate technology and data management, including enterprise-level projects in both the commercial and residential real estate space with the largest organizations in both sectors. And Pete, I know you're gonna walk us through kind of how you transition from a starting data strategy and prepare it so it can take you a long way and get into more advanced concepts as you continuously reinvent that strategy. So let's get right into it. I know we already have some hard-hitting questions from the audience with your name in it specifically, so we'll get to those as well. <laughs> All right, great, good, good. All right, uh, good afternoon, good morning, everybody. Again, thanks for the time and, and really appreciate everyone joining here. So a couple things I wanna focus on as we move through the deck here is, you know, not just developing the data strategy, but some of the kind of tactical steps you should take as you go through this process. There we go, just trying to skip to the next slide here. And so when I, when I say starting the journey, I want to kind of talk about, you know, how do you find the right team members, the right level of influence, kind of assessing your current state and then presenting your findings and getting that buy in and that visibility from your, your executive staff and your, your senior leaders in the organization. So and when we talk about assembling your team, you're going to want to find some, some partners within your, your kind of key business operations groups, right? So your asset managers, your portfolio managers, your performance. You certainly want technology in those discussions. 
and then get a good uh, blend of senior resources and some of these junior resources, you know, that are kind of the rising stars who are going to, you know, as the as your data strategy evolves, as you know, as the, the company grows and evolves, those folks that are going to benefit from these, you know, these steps that you're taking now, you know, two, three, five years down the road, get them engaged early. And so as that as you go through that the process um, assessing your current state, focus on your your you know key reports, your quarterly reports internally, externally, your client reports. And that's going to give you a good assessment of, of a lot of your core data elements that that everyone asks for. Right. And that you need to supply your your reporting, your automation and have those things move through the organization. Um, document your core business processes as you sit down with these key leaders in your organization. So, you know, how do you assemble quarterly reports? You know, how do you do your your AVPs? How do you do your budgeting? You know, those type of processes. And you'll start seeing some trends kind of outlined in there, uh, which is that next point and where some of these pain points are you know, where it's difficult collecting data. And so you just kind of get an understanding and some, you know, some empathy that you can you can share with with the individual users uh, who are having these challenges and your data strategy is looking to solve for ultimately. Um, I'm going to talk about mapping data lineage on slide five. Um, I want to make sure that that term isn't nebulous and, and that when we talk about you know, the data lineage, what that means and some steps you can take to help uh, prioritize and move that forward. And then, you know, categorizing challenges and opportunities, you know, appropriately. Um, as you go through that phase, you know, always to engage with your stakeholders. You know, if this assessing the current state is three months, six months, you know, have your monthly or biweekly check-ins with your, your executive management. Keep them engaged, leverage them to move roadblocks. You know, don't try to push that boulder up the hill by yourself. Um, and then align these findings and these opportunities to the strategic business plan. That's how you create buy-in and that's how you'll move these things forward using the executive staff. Okay, so let's move to the next slide here. There we go. Um, so as you're move forward there, I think I'm gonna skip one. Okay, there we go. As you're going through um, these different groups and kind of these meetings and working with your organization, you know, keep in mind again, your data strategy should support your business strategy, your long-term vision. And I think of this three-legged stool concept. It's business operations, it's technology, and strategic analytics. And, you know, I think of that in the terms of business operations defines what they need. Technology should be used to govern that or you can't govern with technology. You need to govern through processes and ability to check those, those you know, compliance. And then your strategic analytics team empowers because that's what's going to drive your insights using your internal, your external data. You know, you're going to provide more transparency. You're going to raise awareness and adoption going through this process with everyone included. Um, and you're going to continue to, you know, come across risk and roadblocks, and that's where you want your your your, your data governance team, your your executive leadership to move those roadblocks, you know, communicate, collaborate, and push those things forward. So, and again, as your business strategy evolves, your your data strategy is going to evolve with that as well. Okay. Talking about the data lineage a little bit and mapping that. So when we when we talk about the lineage, right, it's it's the flow. It's the flow of data attributes to your technology platforms, and it's the flow of those attributes, you know, through your business units. And as you as you go through this process and you sit down with these individuals and map these these lines out, you know, keep in mind, identify your originators, your data stewards, your data owners, and your data consumers. So the example I provide here is let's look at property attributes, right? So an asset name, an address, your dimensions, square feet, floors, units, you know. Typically, that's going to come into your organization originally from a broker. You're going to get an offering memorandum. Someone's going to take that. 
someone usually from transactions or underwriting, they're going to qualify if they want to proceed with, with this lead or not. If they do, they're going to log it in your deal pipeline tool, right? And so now they're kind of the data stewards. They're getting the information, they're entering it, they're going probably getting some more pieces of information. If you buy that asset and close on that, that data is going to move directly into your, your ERP platform, whether that's Yardi, MRI, you know, JD Edwards, not Excel. And then now that platform, when it's when the data elements are in that platform, generally your asset management team in this scenario is going to kind of be the data owners. They're going to keep that up to date as you do any type of capital projects, TIs, any changes to the property. They're going to be responsible for manipulating that data. So they're going to be a steward in a little bit and in, a, in somewhat of a fashion. But they ultimately are the ones that sign off that that data is accurate and correct in your reporting. And then your consumers of that data are going to be your portfolio managers, your performance team, you know, your clients. Um, and so they should know where to go get that data. They should have the rights to get that data. They should not have the rights to modify or manipulate that data, right? It's only for the owners and the stewards to be able to do that. And so these concepts, again, attributes is probably simple, but this is going to apply to your GL. This is going to apply to your tenant lease information. And again, go through that same process with those business owners, those business units, and map this out. And it will highlight those areas that are consistently needed, that are consistent pain points, and then you need to focus on to really achieve and, and move your data strategy forward. Let's just focus on this for one more second because it is so foundational. If you don't understand the flow of data, you're not going to have a successful strategy. And, and data is not static. It's not a spreadsheet, as you say. Not, not, Excel is not data. Um, how are you actually doing that mapping? Are you sitting at business units and betting yourself? Are you analyzing data on the back end? Like, What sort of actual activities are you and your team doing to, to understand this before you start on this endeavor? Great question. And it, it's a mix of both. And so when we identified those key business operations groups, it, it's your big three or big five, however you want to call it. So it's accounting, generally asset management, portfolio, performance, and your underwriting transactions team. And we, we sat down with them and we looked at we, we looked at some of the reporting that those individual groups provide. And we said, OK, you know, here's an easy sampling of the data you know, elements that we need. Are there any others? And we would ask the question, you know, hey, asset manager, you know, where do you get this tenant lease information from? In our business model, we, we push our yardie out to our property managers. And so the property managers enter that it comes in. Asset management checks it. If it's confirmed, great. Okay, we solidify it. We save it in the system. And then we say, hey, well, who, where do you send this information or who consumes this? And that's generally the next phase in that the lineage, again, as I mentioned, it's going to be portfolio managers. And so when we sat down with portfolio management, we have kind of an idea of, oh, hey, portfolio managers, we understand that you get this from asset management. Can you confirm that? And some of the responses were, you know, yes, we get that directly. And then we had some cases where actually, no, I have an analyst who goes and, and tracks this and pulls this information from some spreadsheet. And you get to start red flagging those things and say, hey, this is a problem. This is a challenge. Why aren't you using the core system? And then you start having those good, deeper discussions of, I don't know how to use it. I didn't know that existed. Uh, I don't like the data formats, and you can start addressing those challenges, you know, directly. Speaking Not of challenges, don't think, don't too far into it, but that's how you quantify your quick wins, your short-term wins, your long-terms, and you roadmap that. You'll yeah. people just let them talk. They will tell you things you need to hear and, and what needs to be addressed. Yeah. Speaking of challenges, you're, you're going to show some of your challenges next, right? Sure. Yep. yep. Good segue. <laughs> All right. So some of the specific challenges we had, you know, we're we're a very large uh, investor. We invest in in pretty much every sector under the sun. A lot of new, you know, um, specialty sectors as well. We do a lot of JVs and a lot of ground development as well. And so these JV scenarios would get a little tricky 
specifically if we were a minority player in that JV. And so generally we dictate the terms of you transact directly in our yarding or our platforms. But if we're a you know 15% player in investment, you know, someone might come back and say, hey, can't really dictate this. So we're not going to directly in your tools. In those scenarios, they would give us a cut of data, generally a report, PDF, Excel, something. And the analyst would take that and it goes back to the scenario I just mentioned, and they have an offline data store somewhere and it's not going into our core platform, which is, is Yardy as the center of our universe. And so we looked you know, strategically at, at partners that we had in place for data management services or that we, you know, we knew existed. We settled with Real Foundations. And so, um, and this isn't a plug for Real Foundations, but what they do on a monthly basis is those, you know, eight or so JVs we have, or we're not collecting the data directly, Real Foundation reaches out to those partners. They collect the data elements that we've requested. They convert those into basically a, a template format that we can then load into Yardi. We rinse and repeat that each month, and we do exception reporting on the back end. Um, Real Foundation does this as well, and it makes sure that for all these, you know, 20, 25 data elements we requested, was everything gathered? Um, or did we miss something? And then it's just that follow-up cycle. So is that your definition of success then? That is that is definitely one of our success stories there. Um, and, and this year, we're going into more of a, we're using that to leverage some scorecarding for partners. You know, I say partners, I say property managers, you know, and JV partners say, hey, these guys perform great in these sectors, these regions, maybe they're not so strong here, or, you know, maybe we have consistent challenges. Um, and letting our executive staff have that information. And when we go look at deals, transaction team says, hey, who do we want? Who's our best industrial portfolio or excuse me, property manager? And we can use that to force rank and, and you know, bring in the partners that, that are going to perform for us. Um, want to make sure we're good on time, Andrew. We have just 30 seconds. So, yeah, okay. I, was, yeah. I was trying to segue into your success uh, criteria in there in the next slide. Yep. Okay. Yep. No worries. Just real quick. And your offline or excuse me, your one off client reports. Look at your IMAs, your investor management agreements, work with your portfolio management and see where you have these one-offs. If you can get these guys to convert to a more standard format, it will save you so much time and, and heartache and pain in the future. And then finally, just wrapping up, I, I put this on the back end of all my presentations, you know, what does success look like? When you get data trust, you get buy-in, you can integrate. When you can integrate, you can automate. And then for the automation, you get more insights. That's going to help your wholesale insights, your, your tenant insights, improve your client experience, increase your capital raise capabilities because you can just respond to these needs from clients and potential clients faster. Great. Thank you, Pete. I have a couple of questions for you. I'll come back to them in the group Q&A because um, we got to move on to stay on time uh, with a video from our next sponsor, CoStar. Commercial real estate leased for business is one of your largest corporate expenses. It's critical for success, but it's also complex and time-consuming to manage. Plus, changes to lease accounting standards add new compliance burdens and stress to your financial reporting. Dealing with incomplete, inaccurate, or out-of-date data can lead to costly errors and poor decisions when it comes to questions like, do we have the right amount of office and retail space? How do we drive efficiencies and cost savings? And are we keeping up with changes that impact our balance sheet? But you have an opportunity to change that. Now more than ever, leaders in real estate, accounting, and business units need the most collaborative applications combined with the most current and comprehensive market information for what's ahead. There's only one company that provides all this and more, CoStar. 
Give your company unparalleled access to comprehensive market and property data, analytic reports, and the number one lease accounting compliance and lease management system from the global leader in commercial real estate data and analytics. Only CoStar delivers such a powerful combination of technology and information to help drive cost savings, optimize real estate portfolios, and achieve lease accounting compliance. Do what you've never been able to do before with CoStar. Connect with us today to learn more. that, I'll introduce Kelly Clark. Kelly's the Senior Director at CoStar and brings more than 25 years of team leadership, marketing technology, professional services, and business development expertise. He represents CoStar's market data, analytics, and management application solutions for corporate and retail clients. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. It's great and to I'm be very here. Excited, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say because it's going to be a different perspective from what we've seen so far. Mostly we've heard from uh, presentations focused on the landlord or the investor in commercial real estate. You're going to be talking a bit more about how data strategy is critical for occupiers of real estate, so kind of the opposite side sure. of that coin. So very curious to compare and contrast that experience as we go through your data strategy challenges. Yeah, thanks. And uh, so my group works a lot with uh, occupiers and tenants, but certainly CoStar is known um, for um, a lot of data sources for real estate. Uh, we know the value of data. Uh, what a lot of people probably don't realize, though, is CoStar also helps uh, counsel people on data strategy and figure out not only, you know, how do we get um, external market data to you, but uh, also how your internal data works, how it flows. And I thought I'd start with this slide. I mean, everybody's heard a lot today about strategy and how do you do things and governance and that kind of stuff. But, you know, from where we start from is you got to have a, a visualization. And the real hard part is just kind of coming up with a map. And this is a simplified illustration that says different groups are using different amounts of data. Maybe they're using the same uh, types of data, but they're getting it from different sources. So you've got to figure out how your current situation looks like before you can start mapping to a, a better place to be. <clears throat> you know, hashtags are kind of the, the vogue thing these days. And, uh, you know, I thought we'd just try to simplify things by saying, basically, the goal for data strategy is to simplify and streamline. You know, you want to reduce the number of data sources that you have to work with, as well as the uh, amount of siloed systems, um, and put those systems together when you can to automate processes and notify stakeholders when things are, are you know, need action, need to take action for a next process or th something like that. Um, and there's also sharing and security. You know, you want to create more accessibility and hand off data seamlessly, uh, managing workflows, but also restricting access where useful, and even auto testing for validity. You know, a lot of people are putting data in and people think about, oh, how's this all going to work? But if you have people putting in garbage in, you get garbage out, right? So managing your data inputs can be a critical part of your data strategy. And of course, facilitating easy reporting so that one department's not calling you going, I need something. And, you know, self-service for data is, a, is an important part of data uh, strategy goals there. And, um, you know, people thinking about their internal data strategy stuff sometimes don't think about external data sources and how do you line those things up. Um, acquiring external data for real estate, of course, some of the things that CoStar is known for is market data, submarket analysis, vacancy rents, forecasts, that kind of thing. And how do you match that up with what you already have in your portfolios? And that, of course, applies to tenants or occupiers or owners. You know, they have information about their leases, their owners, their occupiers. And how do you line that stuff up? And what's really important about getting this data kind of linked up is for benchmarking. I think it was mentioned earlier 
and I'm sure a lot of people on this uh, on this call today are familiar with benchmarking and the value of it. There's qualitative and quantitative, and then comparing those things to see how you're doing. But uh, mentioning the gap analysis or the uh, chasm earlier, you know, if you're not looking at how you're performing with external uh, sources, then you know you're not really maximizing the value of benchmarking and not finding the most areas for gaps and for innovation to take place. So uh, that's something that we find is very helpful in trying to get data externally and internally integrated. Um, and so what this does for you is helps drive your overall real estate life cycle. You know, um, certainly with today and after COVID and all is going on, there's a lot of people trying to figure out how to occupy space. Do they need as much space? Uh, how do we find cost opportunities in our portfolios, cost savings opportunities, I mean. Um, and everything from planning to execution relies on combining external and internal data to figure out what's best. And real, real estate departments are challenged these days to come up with innovation and come up with recommendations, recommendations that help people, you know, figure out what we should do next, what uh, what the company should do from a business strategy standpoint. And like another person said on the call, you know, without uh, a good data strategy, you can't do what's really important, which is driving the business strategy forward. And then a lot of you guys on the phone may be familiar with the uh, lease accounting standards that are happening. And you may be using uh, systems to try and report and get information to your accounting teams and having a seamless flow of all this data is really important. And it's also important to look at what systems you're working with because a system like CoStar uh, from a management application standpoint integrates outside data automatically. So it's there in the hands of everybody who's down this uh, life cycle and who would need access to it. One of the um, success stories we have is we worked with a Fortune 500 bank. We've been working with them for actually 20 years and we helped them develop their initial data strategy and helped shape it over time because, you know, another uh, point that uh, someone made was sustainability of your data strategy. With new innovations that come along, you have to have an eye out for how is that going to reshape things and how do we adapt to that and, and, and make forward progress uh, and not just say, okay, this is a strategy and now we're locked in because that's where a lot of people get stuck uh, today. So I think in the, um, the uh, handout materials that you get from the uh, webinar today, there is a QR code that you can download this case study or success story and read more about what we've done from a data strategy standpoint. There's not enough time today to kind of go through all of those steps, but I just thought it would be helpful for people to see that they integrated market data from the outside with their own internal portfolio data with the applications they use. And they're even able to pull over data like from their ERP and their headcounts and figure out how to prioritize uh, portfolio and space utilization and maximize things and even figure out which uh, actions to take on lease renewals and things like that. So a lot of good information in that uh, document. Yeah, and then one thing to highlight there, because going back to an earlier slide as well, um, you mentioned how, you know, mixing that internal and external data. Obviously, real estate departments in a large organization, you know, you're not the core function of the business versus other companies that are strictly real estate investing companies. Sure. Um, how does a real estate department know when to trust the external data versus when to trust what, you know, they're getting internally from management or elsewhere if they might not necessarily align? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and I think that's part of what benchmarking can do for you is, um, you know, you have to be looking at where your data is coming from. Of course, a lot of people get broker data, which we think is great. But if there was a mistake made, like maybe they pulled data for a submarket that is industrial and it should have been corporate or should have been retail, you need to slice out some of the uh, external factors like other buildings and other real estate information that may be skewing numbers one way or another and, uh, and comparing them to what you're seeing internally from a you know, cost standpoint. 
And then another question, um, how do you factor or eliminate the variance that comes from having properties of different types or in different locations or markets? Uh, how do you normalize that and compare apples to oranges, as it were? Sure, CoStar, you know, in our, in our system, we offer a lot of tools for that. Um, there is just beyond just saying, okay, I wanna look at all the retail space in a submarket, or all the, or the office or industrial, but then you can start looking at, uh, are they a national retailer? Are they local retailers? So there's there's lots of tools to analyze that and come up with that. And that's where the benchmarking exercise comes into play because you have to say, you know, this is what our average square foot cost is gonna be given a certain multiplier of the type of, you know, area it's in, the, the metropolitan or even the submarket. So it, it takes a lot of um, work to do that. And what we find is that while some people are getting bits and pieces of data from, you know, a brokerage firm and things like that, having full access and direct access and unlimited access to CoStar enables them to kind of play around and, and model things in different ways and come up with uh, the types of answers that they need there to kind of normalize and, and eliminate those sort of uneven um, findings. And see, you said play around it means this stuff can be fun after all, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it can be a lot of fun, I guess, if you, yep. if you especially enjoy data, but it's also very helpful and it can make you look like a rock star if you're able to say, you know, I found ways in our portfolio we could save money by taking advantage of certain market opportunities or things like that. So, yeah, I think a lot of people can have fun with that if it, uh, if it pays off. Great. Thank you so much, Kelly. Appreciate the input. All right. Up next, we have Kevin Stofen. Kevin, welcome. I know you're chomping at the bit to, to join us here to wrap up the, the last session of the, the webinar. Um, Kevin is the COO of Navigator CRE and oversees global enterprise management. With over 16 years experience, Kevin is recognized as one of the leading commercial real estate tech executives in the industry. Wow, you got a lot to back up there in that bio, Kevin. Welcome. <laughs> I always get nervous when uh, people say I'm a thought leader. Uh, and I know, you know the burden of going last means I need to be fast. That's clearly a Navigator value prop. Look, we try to, for most of our clients, whether you own, operate, invest in, or manage or occupy real estate, get from that bottom of that data curve that Gautam showed all the way across it in less than 12 months, right? Get through the chasm quickly without sacrificing accuracy or security. And there are two ways I think you need to think about that. And the first is, what are all the things you need to consider as an organization when you're bringing in information, right? What information are you actually gathering? There's gonna be multiple departments, multiple geographies, multiple life cycle stages, multiple personas. Uh, the information is going to be coming from your internal systems. It's going to be coming from external data tours, just like CoStar. It might be coming from uh, hardware operational tools in the building, like turn tight sensors. It could obviously be accounting work order data coming from MRI. And the way you get that information in is going to differ depending upon the sophistication of the underlying system. And once you have that information in the system, right, you need to standardize it in such a way that it's going to be normalized and relevant. Uh, in the example that uh, you know, Kelly just gave, thinking about retail data, if you've got a grocery anchor shopping center, that might be different than a power center, that might be different than a you know closed air, air mall, but they're all going to be considered to be retail. And then that's not to be considered different than you go to multifamily, right? You've got a high rise versus a garden style apartment versus single family residential home. You need to divide up that information and the KPIs that are relevant for that information. And then once it comes inside the platform that you're using or building, uh, you need to audit that information on the fly so that you can provide feedback to the people who own the data. Pete mentioned data lineage. Think about when the information comes to you in the workflow, what your responsibilities might be. 
Do you need to normalize lease or sales comps? Do you need to verify the accuracy of the square footage of a unit inside a building before it goes to somebody else? So that that some of those audits should be automated. And then once the information inside a centralized platform, which is what Navigator is, then you need to think about what you're going to do with the information before you distribute it out and who you're distributing it to. Uh, someone in the audience asked about risk and compliance. I think every decision that's made inside a company has financial implications, operational implications, and legal implications, no matter what department it's in, no matter what life cycle stage it's in. If you're thinking about what to bid for a potential acquisition, you need to look at that in a context of all the other potential bids that are in your pipeline and whether you have the relevant documentation for that deal so that you can make an accurate decision and quite frankly, make it faster than your competitors are making it. And those decisions uh, and how often they're made are often gonna drive the importance of how often the data is actually coming in uh, and being audited, cleansed, remediated, integrated, visualized, et cetera. Uh, instead of talking about this all at a high level, I wanted to give two examples. When it comes to the acquisitions department of a company, there are a lot of questions you need to answer. And likely, answering these questions allows you to build certain rules into your data platform so you can automate some of the due diligence process. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll use investors as an example since they're on the call. Um, they have multiple fund structures. They have separately managed accounts across multiple property types, across multiple geographies. That requires different sets of rules depending on the acquisitions they might be making in a particular fund. So if a fund mandate is class A office core, okay, I'm gonna have a pretty defined set of cap rates or minimum square footage or, or other separately managed account advice I need to follow. So if somebody sends me a deal, I can have those rules built in automatically. To pay. If something falls outside those parameters, I don't need to go dig down any information. I don't need to go do due diligence. It doesn't fall within the mandate but it might fall within the mandate of a different fund. So I get that deal, my rules calculate X, Y, Z. Okay, this would require seven cap. That doesn't work in this fund, but it does work in our value add fund. And let me notify so-and-so in the acquisitions department there. Like we're trying to save time uh, in cross-departmental decision-making. And by doing that, you bring all this information in from a very wide variety of sources. Navigator integrates with like, I don't know, a hundred different tools. Um, there's a lot of different visual outputs you need to produce. Someone on the call said it's not just about dashboards. I agree. You need a mapping interface. You need to link to your source systems. You need to show historical information. You need to provide insights for future information. There's a lot of different visuals you need to create. They're going to be relevant to the business. And that user experience should be unique to whoever's logging in. So if I'm an acquisitions uh, lead in the Northeast that only does industrial deals, I should only be seeing those things that are relevant to me without having to jump around. Um, yep. Same thing for leasing, right? A lot of different questions you might want to answer. COVID exposed a lot of this. Who owes me money? What industries are more problematic than others? Where's my exposure across my portfolio with that same tenant? Uh, by the way, probably 15 different ways I could think about Best Buy or Gap Inc. and the ways those are coded in systems. So how can I consolidate all of those entity names so I have actually have a clear view across my portfolio of the lease exposure that Gap has in my portfolio? And that's whether you're the landlord who owns the building and is leasing the space to Gap, 
or whether you're gapping and you're occupying all of those spaces and you need to understand your exposure. You're gonna pull in information from a wide variety of systems and this doesn't work unless the updates in most of these systems and feeds in your warehouse are happening every single day because that's how quick the pace of this uh, industry is moving. Yeah, and then, so just to go back to that, you know, you asked a lot of questions here. It's very important to lay out specific questions for these, these answers, but a lot of our audience are probably looking into that chasm thinking about technology acquisition, thinking about a cloud migration, maybe an upgrade, whatever it might be. And they've done some research, they've asked some questions, they've gathered requirements, but how do you know when it's good enough? Because sometimes you just lack the confidence to, to jump that chasm. Like how can you look back and say, I've done enough, I'm ready for the next step. Is there like a eureka moment? Is it more gradual? Like how do you see clients kind of getting over that hump? Uh, that answer is, is a wide range, depending yep. on who the client is, their scope and scale, their in-house sophistication, uh, and, and quite frankly, what data they have inside of our platform, as an example, right? Um, most of our clients do QAQC testing of the data and spot checks, regardless of what the information is. And we start with a small subset. And if it's perfect, if it's one-to-one -one and everything matches, you know, it's like, let, let's go back to Statistics 101. If you pick 20 examples and they're all correct, you can have a pretty high degree of confidence that the, the variety of that data set is good to go. And as you uncover mistakes, how big is the mistake? Is it, uh, is there a wide variance? Uh, is it a one-off? When we do our data audits, um, I'm not, not gonna show it on the screen, we could do it further in the future. Um, if you know that the maximum square footage in any suite in your office building is 65,000 square feet and you have two entries in the 80s, we know that's a problem. Our audit will say go track that down in Yard or MRI or JDF, or it's a real page. Um, but if you don't get any of those on the initial audit, you can be pretty comfortable uh, with a large enough sample size to move on to the next step. And then, of course, after that, that's all hindsight data. Now we got to start thinking about, well, what's the recommended action? I should be taking and how can I do conditional formatting in my interface and recommend a next step? Not that Navigator will perform the next step, but it'll advise you to go into whatever system you're using to make that workflow go forward. And that is a really key next step on that curve of maturity, right? Not only getting the insight, but actually triggering a business action and then getting the outcome from that insight, really harnessing that value. Um, excellent, okay. Thank you so much, Kevin. Now we can open it up to the whole panel. And I got some, some group questions from you from the audience, as well as a few callbacks to, uh, to previous slides. If everyone wants to come back on video, we can quickly have a bit of a panel discussion. Um, first up, two slides mentioned Oscar. I believe that's Ian and Pete, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, can you just talk more about what Oscar is and how, how you leveraged it or engaged with them to, to develop your data strategy? Sure, yeah, I'll just kick it off here real quick. Um, so, you know, open source consortium for real estate, you know, it, uh, basically it's a data standards framework. And we, we utilized it heavily as we were working with EMEA to develop kind of the, the regional data strategy. And we're using it a bit in North America too, but it's, a, it's what I call an accelerator. If you, if you don't want to spend a whole lot of time sitting down with everybody, or your business operations and defining what your key data elements are, they have basically a, a, a data structure and kind of a data model that is a, is a really good starting point. And it categorizes those as, you know, here's your attributes, here's your kind of tenant lease, here's your GL details, um, what those are, you know, definitions, which again, you can adopt or, or not adopt. But it, I think if you can adopt, you know, 75, 80% of that, it will save you a significant amount of time in, in the definitions and in going through that process with your organization. Sounds like you can just copy someone else's homework, right? And jump uh, jump to the finish line. 
very similar. Yeah. It's like, hey, what are you what are you doing over there? So yeah, I mean, I'd agree, Pete, as well. And I think one of the one of the key points you raised there is you use them as a starting point, and they're they're very much geared towards being extended to suit your own use cases. So so yeah, they get you seventy five or eighty percent of the way there, which saves you a significant amount of time. Uh, we we learned a lot from Oscar as well around the processes that they actually went through to define those data models. They they got quite a lot of good content around defining data strategies and uh, and what you need to do to get data standards in place. So that they are good to partner with. So it sounds like if they if you haven't engaged with Oscar yet and you're just getting started on your data strategy journey, perhaps sign up and and skip ahead to eighty uh, percent. Sounds like a great tip. Um, the next question we have this came up uh, Gautam during your presentation, but I think it does actually apply to all the speakers here. Um, so this is saying uh, semantic, also known as tabular models, are becoming a go-to technology component for many mid-sized real estate firms. As you've developed into your phase two of your strategy, are you finding yourself building fewer, larger, more complex models, or are you building kind of more small models to address specific challenges to you and your customers? Gautam, sound check. There we go. I can open that question up to everybody while he gets his uh, mic on. Are you, uh, do you find that it's it's getting bigger and more complicated, or, or kind of a series of small models? I think what, what we've experienced is a bigger group of small models. Um, but what we try to avoid is use case specific models where we can. So every every time a requirement comes in for something new, we'll go back and review everything that we've got. Can an existing model be extended to suit rather than building something to, uh, to suit a specific need? We've seen something very similar. Um, clients are going to have different data models depending on property type because those use cases uh, differentiate highly. Even if you're thinking about a stacking plan, right? Your stacking plan is going to look vertical with tenant names and office. It's going to look bird's eye view for retail. It's going to be based on bedroom type if you're multifamily. Uh, but building the underlying data elements is going to differ across those property types. Uh, but across the life cycle stage, uh, the same thing occurs. And then Galpham, are you back with us from the Pico perspective? Unfortunately not. We'll try to get that fixed. Um, the next question, and this came up a couple of times, is, is there's definitely some fear, I think, from a lot of audience members from an IT perspective, where you're looking at that curve, that chasm. How to engage business and actually get them using the products? I think training is a real big risk. Um, so with that said, you know, a large segment of CRE industry does not have, you know, cutting edge technology. They don't have in-house analytics or data governance backgrounds. Um, isn't the training requirement a much heavier lift that most industry leaders don't realize is the question. Yeah, Andrew, I'll, I'll just kind of throw my name in the hat there on that one. Um, I've, I've seen it at multiple organizations where, again, there's just not an awareness. There's not kind of a standard, you know, not a, you know standard operating procedure or a center of excellence. You know, that someone can go to as you, as you onboard a new resource, hire an analyst, a manager, whomever, that can go and say, okay, here's kind of, you know, whatever, the Invesco way or, you know, the, you know, the LaSalle way or whomever to just consistently define that. And I think there's an assumption that a lot of the tools are just, you know, standard nature, easy to learn. And, you know, I will say a lot of platforms, you know, Yardi example, you know, getting down into the details into Yardi and being able to, to dig some of those out requires a, a lot of key platform knowledge that is just not really intuitive and and you know easy to just you know navigate through and find your way yeah i mean my answer would be pretty straightforward and that i've already been through erp implementations that went up against the wall right <laughs> so i already know exactly the burden it takes 
um, to get people to actually engage with the applications and the content. But no, for those of you who haven't seen it, you absolutely take this incredibly seriously. It is a huge uh, potential pitfall that your data strategy can just go right to the toilet if people aren't going to engage with it. Andrew, I'd say that, uh, you know, we see a challenge with that too, that, you know, you can just overwhelm people up front with here's everything this thing does out of the box. So I think you need to look for solutions that have in-app learning and other tools that, you know, people just need. I need to know this one thing and I can't remember it. There's something that right at the time they're trying to execute on something or do something, that little piece of knowledge is there, you know, to help them along. I would add to that was a great point by Kelly is, is, is snippets, like 45 seconds max. Here's how you do one particular thing that addresses your business need. I would also say, don't go in and think you've got to rip and replace everything and, and require some you know, massive change management exercise. Use the tech you already understand. Just integrate it and provide a user interface so that you know the leasing team can get access to acquisitions data actually without having to learn. The, the acquisitions platform, right? So just share the information in a, in a nicely visual way, but don't require a bunch of additional training across platforms and across tools. And That's, I would add to that too, you know, if you if you outsource or you're bringing a third party to kind of help you define and set your data strategy, put that in the list of deliverables, you know, where, where training can reside or, you know, building some of those, you know, those videos or those manuals and things like that, because you're just not going to have time to do it internally. So leverage your, your third parties to do that. Right. Yeah, next question. comment just to say that, you know, le leveraging that and assessing, let the experts do their thing and it's worth the outsource cost. That's a that's a viable point, too. Sure. Um, next question, we've got to go around the horn because we might have different answers depending on the focus area, sustainability versus leasing, et cetera. Um, but do you have any firm preference uh, for your data structure approach? Do you prefer data warehouse, data lake or you know something else? Um, I'll answer first. I, I strongly prefer data warehouse just because of the scale and complexity of our firm, the institutional knowledge we already have around that architecture makes it way easier for us to maintain and implement new technologies. But that might not be the same case for other organizations that have different uh, concerns. How about you, Jessica? Are you, are you a data warehouse or a data lake uh, organization over there? Yeah, that's a great question. We're a data warehouse organization, but obviously what we do is try to provide analytics and, and dashboards where we're doing that work for you so that you're not having to, to play with the raw data that's always available if somebody wants to go in and manage it, but it's about data visualization and making it easy, um, you know, back to our last question, easy to work with, easy to use, easy to get the data you need quickly so you can make decisions. Yeah, I'd say we're, we're actually, I think it's something that Gautam said at the start of his presentation, we're, we're both. Um, so we, we transfer data into a data lake first, and that's mainly to take a lot of the operational reporting away from the transactional database um, for a number of reasons. But then, yeah, transformations into a data warehouse for your true analytics. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it depends on, you know, scale, Andrew. You know, what, what size are you? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, we, we have a data warehouse we've had for years on our real estate side. You know, our, our parent company, Invesco, you know, they, are, they have a massive data lake, and they will start consuming some of our real estate data there. Um, you know, many years ago I consulted and one of my clients at the time was TPG and I mean, you know, they own a whole portfolio of companies. And so, a, a, you know, a traditional data warehouse was really not an option for them. They needed something like a data lake, you know, to pull all the information in from, from all the companies they acquired. So I, I don't know that it's a one size fits all for either one, but I think it's, you know, there's, there's a time and place for both. Yeah. The only thing is if you already use a lake, you have to make sure you know how to swim first. It's very, very key. It can get a bit complicated. <laughs> Um, and then actually another question dovetails right off that. 
this person is considering outsourcing uh, the build of their data warehouse to offshore resources. Uh, can you comment, anyone have experience outsourcing data warehouse and data analytics work to offshore resources? Is that a, is it a viable approach? Are there pitfalls there? It's something we've done. Um, and I, I would say there are a few things that you need to take into account. Um, legislation legality is one of them. You'll obviously be providing access to your data to people outside the region. Um, for, for our specific use case, that involves speaking to clients and, and getting permission for that to happen. Uh, and in some cases, you don't get that permission. You have to be very clear with those outsourced resources, what they can and can't do. Uh, and you need to be clear what the legislative impact is. If you're transferring data, even from a support perspective, if that team's supporting your solutions, if they're transferring data into their region, uh, things like the, the GDPR regulations in Europe, I mean, if you transfer data out of region, those regulations still apply to that data. So you, you need to be very clear on what that means. Yep. And that dovetails with another question. Um, I know security will be covered more in, in future uh, episodes of this webinar series, but uh, how do you address data security and, and cross-border challenges? And, and this can obviously be opened up to anyone. Security obviously has to underlie every strategy. Happy Maybe Kevin, I'll point it to you, yeah. Yeah, because uh, most of our clients are, are, they have assets in multiple regions and they're trying to consolidate that information at a corporate level. So we're thinking about language translation, currency concursion, uh, measurement metric consolidation, and then data privacy law. So yes, GDPR exists in Europe, but let's not take away all the legislation in, in North America, right? CCPA is happening in California. So you have to, we, we, we do this in a m number of ways. One, we leverage single sign-on across the organization, uh, either Okta or SAML, and then we include multi-factor authentication in different markets, and the clients roll that out uh, with, you know, having multiple device uh, encryption, I think it's helpful. Uh, also, encrypting the data, not just in REST, but while it is in motion, uh, in, in transit between source to, to data repository, whether, whether that's lake or warehouse, is really important. Uh, and then just, I mean, a lot of people don't think about this, but just generalized training internally about data security. Most of the, most of the, the cyber crimes and hacks that are happening are not your system getting hacked. It is someone's like sending you an email saying, hey, I got a resume for a new hire. Could you open this up? And it looks innocuous and they open it up and oh, now there's some phishing code inside their system that has their security credentials stored in the platform. So it's often more um, user training uh, than it is, you know, a thousand hash encryption or a blockchain enabled database and, and stuff that we all do because that's what our clients require. But I think it's more on the human end. At the end of the day, the weakest link in any plan is the human element for sure. Um, Another question and, here. Oh, go ahead. I was just Andrew, can I make one comment just back on the you know outsourcing? Sure. Thing? And just you know kind of a kind of an oddball reference, but just something that is is you know kind of bit me in, in in the butt in the past. Get a very very clear, specific, detailed guide of what holidays they are going to honor because I had and I had an outsourcing issue where I could not get anybody. When I talked to somebody, it was three or four different people, and it come to find out they honored every single religious holiday for any religion in the, that anybody might have in the country, and it made it a complete nightmare to manage resources. Here's another question, uh, actually kind of back, very foundational, I think a really good thing to approach and, and potentially with different answers. What approach do you suggest on a greenfield data strategy project? Top down? start by asking management expectations or bottom up looking at data elements? And I think I can already kind of know some of the answers here, but I'm curious, you know, what people's takes are on comparing those two approaches. I'd suggest a combination of both. 
Um, <laughs> yes. uh, it doesn't need to be a linear approach. You should, you should start at both ends of that scale. Um, senior management needs to be involved from the start. They need to be aware of it. They need to be brought into the process to invest in it. Um, but then you need to be looking at the, the detail that sits beneath that to, to educate that senior management layer on exactly what you do. Yeah, you yeah. got to do both. There's no getting around it. So I think that's a pretty straightforward answer. Um, this question I didn't follow. I'm going to trust the Realcom audience that this is on topic. But Pete, it's directed specifically at you uh, during your presentation. And I'm not a data scientist, so forgive me if I'm wrong. But what models have been incorporated that link the dynamics of the heat equation and Black-Scholes, given that one can be derived from the other? This is from Ryan Choi. Maybe he's your colleague, and this is an inside joke. And I've just been pranked. Yeah, I was going to say this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> data scientist Brock. That would probably be a better question for him to address. So, so that is a, there. We go. Okay. It's a good pile. <laughs> um, and okay, finally, we have one last question that came in. Often participants in these interviews, you're talking to the business, aren't sure what they need. They don't know what data position they, they would even want. Um, how do you help them fill that gap? If they've never seen a, a, a well-presented analytical dashboard, they don't know what to ask for. So you don't ask so many questions. Are there any strategies to help the business really tell you what they need? I think, I think one of the first steps is having the conversation around what problem are they actually trying to solve. Um, you, you don't need to ask what data do you need to see. You, you need to see what are you actually trying to achieve from this data, and then you can help define what kind of visualization is the most appropriate. Is it is it graphs and charts? Is it more 3D modeling? Is it just tabular data that they can expand on? Uh, but I think the, the key thing is establishing the problem before you look at any kind of solution. A very good place to start is what are the outputs requested by executives? Because their time is the most expensive. Um, it's the you know, it's, it's tough to get on their calendars, and you want to have answers ready uh, immediately. So how do you back in to all of those answers, and what needs do those create? Because it's often the analysts that are having to put together the information. So you that barbell approach, but you have to start with executive requests. Absolutely. All right, and that brings our time to an end. Apologies, Galpin, about your microphone issue. I know we can engage with you after the call via via social media and otherwise. Uh, lots of questions on that on that presentation you started with. I think it really laid out well for our panelists the, the foundation of data strategy. Um, and with the, the panel concluding, Chuck, I'll turn it back to you. Sounds great. Thank you, Andrew. You guys did fantastic. Uh, still, I see questions still pouring in, so <laughs> people might be reaching out to you. So don't want to thank all the panelists you have uh, such a great contributions today thanks to all of our sponsors and for our live audience and those watching on the recording be sure to go to realcom.com to register for the second session in our real estate data analytics webinar series starting one week from today february 17th we'll we'll continue with generating insights by leveraging business intelligence and advanced analytics we talked a little bit about some of that today but we'll get deeper into it uh, next time so Thank you all again. It was a great session and uh, really appreciate everyone. Enjoy your day. Be safe. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.